to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This passage is telling us that Jesus unites, divides, and exposes the true state of our heart. Now, we're going to look at three aspects uh, of this account. First, the background of what is going on here. Second, the hope that was animating uh, Simeon and Anna. And third, the two sets of prophecies that Simeon pronounced about Jesus. So first, the background. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day after he was born. Now, that was in accordance with Leviticus 12, verse 3, which calls for the circumcision of a newborn boy on the eighth day after his birth. Verses 22 through 24 go on to tell us that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the coming to the temple probably happened about 40 days after Jesus' birth, not the same day as his circumcision. And the reason is that Leviticus 12, verse 4, specifies that while a woman was considered ritually uh, unclean for seven days after giving birth to a baby boy, for an additional 33 days, she was not allowed to enter the sanctuary or touch any consecrated thing until the days of her purification were complete. Then Leviticus 12, verses 6 through 8, say that when the days of her purification were complete, she was to bring the, uh, the priest a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. But if she did not afford the lamb, uh, she was to bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. When the priest made atonement for her, she would then be considered fully clean. Now this is telling us that Mary and Joseph were poor. But there's an irony here. And the irony is that even though they could not afford a lamb, they actually did bring a lamb to the temple. Because Jesus himself is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this also tells us something about God. Specifically, he cares about the poor. Uh, when God came to earth in the person of Jesus, he did not come to Rome or to Jerusalem. He did not live in a palace, but he was born to a poor family. Jesus was born in a stable, and Mary placed him after his birth into a manger, which as you may know is a feeding trough for animals. Now we often think of God as being up there uh, somewhere, uh, and yes, he is transcendent, and he is upholding the entire universe. But he is also here. He is intimately involved with his creation and with us. Uh, he knows what we're going through because he went through it himself. Uh, nothing is too small for him. We need to remember and draw on that, particularly when things are not going well for us. 
things did not go well for Jesus. And that remained true for him from the moment he was born until he was arrested, severely scourged, and then executed like a common criminal. Now, in verse 27, it also says that Mary and Joseph brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. That is probably referring to the payment of five shekels, which was the price paid to redeem a firstborn son, according to Numbers chapter 18. All of this is telling us that Jesus was being raised in accordance with the law of Moses. Just as it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, that Jesus was born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law. So, what was it that was the hope that was animating Simeon and Anna? Well, verse 25 tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And verse 38 says that Anna began to speak of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now those phrases, the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem, are parallel. And uh, they concern Messiah's deliverance of Israel uh, and so Israel's consolation and redemption was a key element uh, in a number of Old Testament prophecies, particularly in the book of Isaiah. What is interesting, though, is that both Simeon and Anna had used phrases concerning the, uh, the Messiah's deliverance of Israel that had nationalistic connotations. But when they saw Jesus, their focus was on him. And therefore, in verses 30 through 35, Simeon uh, speaks uh, and consecrates on who Jesus is and what he will do. And likewise, in verse 38, it says, Anna continued to speak of him. This all tells us that even before Jesus began his public ministry, the Holy Spirit was revealing that God's plan for the consolation and redemption of Israel was not a political or nationalistic program at all. Instead, the real work of the Messiah was of a fundamentally different and far deeper broader and more personal nature, encompassing all peoples, including the Gentiles, including, uh, according to verses 31 and 32. It was designed to bring about the forgiveness of sin and the inauguration of God's true kingdom. Now, verse 36 also tells us that Anna was a member of the tribe of Asher, now, Asher was one of the northern tribes that had been part of the northern kingdom of Israel, as opposed to the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem uh, was located. Now, the book of Judges tells us that the Asherites 
nipped among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they uh, did not drive them out. Now by the time Jesus uh, came to earth, the northern kingdom was no more, and the people living there were known as Samaritans. Now the presence of Anna is at least hinted that the ultimate mission of Jesus was to all people, including Canaanites, Samaritans, and Gentiles in general. So there's a lot more going on behind the scenes here than appears in just a surface reading of this passage. But this leads us to the essence of this passage, namely the uh, two sets of prophecies that Simeon pronounced over Jesus. Verses 25 and 26 tell us that Simeon had the Holy Spirit on him and would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. So what he says is important, is inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. And Simeon begins uh, in verse 29 by saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. But the key uh, is verses 30 through 32, where he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you were prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people, Israel. Now verses 30, uh, 30 and 31 tell us that God's salvation is not limited to Israel, but applies to all people. And that is confirmed in verse 32, where Simeon quotes uh, from Isaiah 42, verse 6, and 49, verse 6. Those verses are from two of the so-called servant psalms in Isaiah. Now, according to Isaiah, in these, there are four servant psalms, Simeon quoted from two of them, and According to Isaiah, the servant of the Lord has the Spirit of God upon him, will bring salvation to Israel and to the Gentiles, and is a light to the Gentiles, which is what uh, Simeon quoted from. Now the servant also is beaten and afflicted, he is despised and forsaken, and despite persecution, he does not open his mouth, but he dies as an offering bearing the sins of men. Now, all of this, of course, relates to Jesus Christ. By quoting from those servant songs, Simeon was bringing in the rest of their context in, in addition to just the passage uh, that he quoted about being a light to the uh, Gentiles. Um, and so Simeon quoting from the prophecy of Isaiah is pointing out that even at the beginning of his earthly life, Jesus was recognized as the fulfillment of prophecies that were over 700 years old. That he is the true servant of the Lord as prophesied by Isaiah. Now the promised service, uh, servant of the Lord was coming not only to the nation of Israel, but would bring salvation and the revelation of God to all the people of the world. And I think this is important uh, to consider, particularly 
as we begin a new year. Isaiah was saying that Jesus is the light of God's revelation to us. And therefore, if you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. Uh, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what God likes and what he does not like, look to Jesus. Uh, if you want to know uh, what God's will is, look to Jesus. And if you want to know how we should live, look to Jesus. Now, yesterday, we finished uh, the Read Through the Bible in a Year program that many of us uh, were going through. Let me suggest that this year, we concentrate each day on reading something from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because John 14, uh, in John 14, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He also said, in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. Now, in light of this, Rebecca Kipper suggests this. She says, begin to read the Gospels every day. And each day as you read, something probably will hit you and make sense. Whatever that is, do it as soon as you can. If we do this, he has promised that he will be with us we just saw what he said uh, in John 14. And we will draw closer to him. We will start seeing his will for our lives. And as we consciously start acting in obedience to him, we will become more and more like him. In other words, Jesus unites people. He unites Gentiles and Jews together into one new family. He unites us with himself, and he even works in us to unite our character with his own. And that is the point of our whole life. But Simeon went on. In verses 34 and 35, he gave another set of prophecies, this time not quoting from Scripture, but again speaking directly about Jesus, what he would do, and the effect he would have. So, it says in verses 34 and 35, And Simeon blessed him, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, 
and for a sign that is opposed, and the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, first he says that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Now, commentators have looked at this in two main ways. Some see this as referring to two groups of people. Those who reject Jesus will fall to their eternal death, but those who receive him as Lord will rise to eternal life. Others see this as referring to the same group of people, namely those who receive Jesus as Lord. They will first fall. In other words, they must lose their pride in their own spiritual accomplishments and or will face persecution, but then they will rise to eternal life. Now, I think that the first option that is referring to two groups is probably preferable, particularly since it is paralleled by the next thing Simeon says, that Jesus is a sign uh, that is told. Because most of the religious leaders uh, in Israel opposed Jesus. They also demanded from him a sign. And Jesus told them that the only sign that would be given to them was the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus compared Jonah's three days in the belly of the great fish to the three days that he would spend in the heart of the earth in his burial uh, before his resurrection on the third day. But there's more to the sign of Jonah than that. In John chapter 7, the Pharisees attacked Nicodemus, by the way, one of their own, uh, telling him, search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee, where Jesus was from. But they were wrong. There was one prophet from Galilee, and that prophet was Jonah. And Jonah, interestingly enough, was from a small town, a uh, little village, only about three miles away from Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Well, Simeon then makes the parenthetical comment to Mary that a sword will pierce through uh, your own soul also. What he's saying is that Jesus will bring grief as well as joy. He will bring death as well as life. His own mother will not be spared the grief of seeing her son killed, persecuted, and ultimately executed like a common criminal. One of the things these prophecies are telling us is that if God did not spare his own son, and Jesus did not spare his own mother, why do we think that we will be spared suffering, grief, and even persecution. Jesus said that we can expect all of those things. They are some of the means that he uses to make us more like himself. I wish that were not the case, but it is, because Jesus himself was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And since we are not greater than Jesus, we can expect the same types of things to happen in our own lives. In other words, Jesus divides people 
He brings opposition. He divides believers from unbelievers based upon our relationship with him. And that can pierce our own souls when we think of loved ones who no longer love us because of Jesus. Yet that confronts each one of us with a question. Who or what is most important to me? Jesus or someone or something else? But Jesus also said that he will never leave us or forsake us. In other words, we do not have to go through suffering, grief, or persecution alone. He is with us. But he's done more. Although he personally ascended back to the Father in heaven, where he constantly makes intercession for us, he knows we are physical people in a physical world. So he has left us his physical body here on the earth, namely the church, the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in faith. We are a family, and families take care of their own. Now, one of the things that Max said a while ago uh, is he suggested that we get to know on a deeper level some of our brothers and sisters in the body. We need to do this so that we can draw upon such relationships when we need help in getting through hard times. That is one reason why Jesus gave us the church. It is one of his means of providing for us. So let us work to deepen our relationships in the church this coming year. Now, although the prophecies about the fall and rise of men and the sign to be opposed pertain either explicitly or implicitly to people in history, they had universal application. We already saw that Simeon's first set of prophecies showed that Jesus is the true servant of the Lord in fulfillment of Isaiah and brings salvation to all peoples, not just to Israel. His second set of prophecies is expanding on that. And we see this again in Simeon's last statement that Jesus is a sign so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Basically, what we do about Jesus reveals the true state of our heart. Jesus is the key. People may claim to be spiritual, but Jesus said, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. Now that will preeminently become clear at the judgment, where Jesus said, what is done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. Again, Jesus is the key. Our relationship with him reveals the true state of our heart. Now what we are seeing in this is that from the very beginning of Jesus' life, God was using Simeon and Anna to make clear the comprehensive and 
fundamental significance of Jesus. Let me uh, summarize this. First, Jesus had been prophesied over 700 years before he came into the world. His coming was for people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation in the world, not just Israel. While Simeon's second set of prophecies referred specifically to Israel, they also had universal application. Indeed, in many respects, the church is the new, true, spiritual Israel, as Paul makes uh, clear in Romans 11, and much of the New Testament makes clear in other ways. So let us get to know the Jesus revealed in the gospel. Connect with the church, which is his body and family on the earth. Jesus is the most important person in the universe. Get to know him deeply and well. Second, Jesus unites people. All those who receive him as Lord are adopted into his family. Therefore, even though we are from different earthly families, different groups, tribes, races, and different backgrounds, in a greater and more important sense, we are now one. Uh, we're brothers and sisters in a family that will be together forever. Consequently, let us get to know each other deeper. We should be able to trust and count on each other more than we trust and can count on even our earthly family members. Let that become a reality for us this year. Third, Jesus brings division. Simeon prophesied that Jesus would bring about the fall of some and the rise of others. He would be a sign that is opposed. Now, interestingly, the Quran even calls Jesus a sign for all the peoples of the world. Yet he is derided in much of Islam, and his followers are persecuted. In other words, Simeon's prophecy is being fulfilled today. Jesus himself said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he said that he would set father against son, mother against daughter, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. All of those prophecies are also being fulfilled today. And many of us have first-hand experience of that in our own earthly families. Thus, the sword that would pierce Mary's soul is being played out in slightly different ways between Christians and those we love and care about who do not have Jesus. And finally, Jesus reveals the true state of our hearts. Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool some of the people all the time, and all of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. With Jesus, it is different. We cannot fool him any of the time. He knows the very thoughts, secrets, and intents of our hearts. That is another reason why we need to 
know him deeply. The closer we get to him, the more his thoughts will become our thoughts. His priorities, our priorities, and his values, our values. And then we will start naturally living his life, or to put it another way, he will start living his life out through us. That is the point of our life. So again, Jesus is the key, and the key is to knowing him deeply and well. Think how it could be this year if all of us began thinking, feeling, speaking, and acting more and more like Jesus. When we act like a loving family toward each other and start naturally showing the love of Jesus to others, then despite the deep political and other issues that now divide so many people, people will see them and they will want to be like that too. The irony is this. Jesus brings division as a result of people's acceptance or rejection of him. Yet, if we all start thinking, feeling, speaking, and acting like him, those walls of division will be breached, and a greater unity, even with non-believers, will result because of our Christ-likeness. So let me conclude by saying this. This passage from the beginning of Christ's life is a profound account that points us to who he is, what he does, and the significance that has for us. Let us be committed to a deeper unity with Christ and with each other. So that when the world sees that, they will want that too. Let me pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word and the depth that you show us in your word about who you are, what you do, and the implications of that for us. I pray, Lord God, that you will take your word to heart, get to know you better on a deeper level and get to know our brothers and sisters in faith on a deeper level as well so that we will become conformed more and more to your image and the people, when they see that, they will want that too. We ask all of these things.